This episode of the Asians Represent podcast is brought to you by our amazing Patreon supporters and subscribers on Twitch. Uh, thanks to their support, we're able to take all of this extra audio from the past season of the Asians Represent podcasts, so that's episodes 35 to 45, and return them to our public podcast feed. Moving forward in 2022, thanks to their support, we'll be able to do monthly drops of Asians Represent episodes onto this feed. We're super excited. Now, if you are a patron of the podcast, don't worry. Our extended feed will continue, and our behind-the-scenes look at Dungeons & Asians, no dice, no problem, will still be a Patreon exclusive. That said, we are so excited for everyone to be able to access this episode in audio format. Uh, it's been quite a journey and quite a transformation of Asians Represent. We are constantly evolving, and we are so glad that our community is growing and here for this journey with us. That said, let's get to the episode. Because uh, Yvonne's in the other room, and she has been so much in love with our Dungeons & Dragons game that she has finally dove into writing her own stuff, because... <gasps> As we play more and more Dungeons and Dragons, she's like, there's a lot in this game that I just don't like. And like the decisions oh, of like why it's written and like the design of it makes me uncomfortable. And I'm like, I can show you how to self-publish. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so awesome. So no, she's so she's writing right now to yeah. the lo-fi beats. Oh, that's so good. I know, like what what an aesthetic, right? And in the summer. Um, we have like our patio lights. So we have like these big like uh, incandescent bulbs. So she would be out there with all of our plants in a wicker chair with like a beer or a tea and just like writing. It was very, very aesthetic. Wow. That's I mean, nice. you have to ignore the fact that we look directly at the Gardner Expressway and like we just see trucks and cars like honking and like being angry at each other all the time. <laughs> but if you ignore that, it's very aesthetic. Ooh. I actually really like looking at the highway because my partner's old apartment actually looks over the highway yeah. and I kind of just like looking at it at night. There's like a, I, I get that. There's like city vibe feels and like, oh, depending yeah. on who you are, like that can be very calming and comforting. Uh, for me, falling asleep to traffic is like, I'm used to it. So oh. I actually find it very difficult to fall asleep in places that are more remote when it's too uh, quiet, when it's like bugs and stuff, that kind of like messes with me. <laughs> oh, interesting. I also, mm -hmm. live, I also live next to a highway or freeway, we call it. So it's like random <laughs> motorcycle races. <laughs> motorcycle races, so like, specifically yeah. races. Wow. I think so because it's like a. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. It's very dramatic. <laughs> like what in the world hmm. yeah. yeah i just watched Sanchi the yeah. other day and it's mm. like that bus scene where they're like going down like the street of san francisco <laughs> that's what i'm picturing right now did you did you see the did you see the scene breakdown by a bus driver from san francisco i what? saw yeah that was amazing so this bus driver is like let's talk about like this bus and history and like how did, what you actually have to do with drive a bus and like mm -hmm. things that would never happen and things that definitely would happen on a bus oh my gosh mm -hmm. that's so like, great like he broke down like there's like a very small thing like the driver who's in the seat 
when the oh. violence starts happening, turns oh. around to look. And he's like, a driver would never do that. Driver would check their front mirror because you always have to keep your eyes forward because oh. you're a bus driver. That makes sense. And I'm like, okay. that, this is the kind of analysis that I love. I love deep diving into like the very granular stuff. It just like gives me so much joy to know about a process. Yeah, that's true. Oh, man. I really, I also just really like watching these videos in general of like, a professional in a field watches a scene in a movie. Mm-hmm. I find those always just very satisfying. But Shang-Chi is cool. I mean, it's obviously very wuxia. I mean, there's some wuxia bits in there. I'm like, oh my god. It's like... Uh, I was telling... I was watching and then I was telling my spouse, this is a wuxia bit. You know, this is where the, the, the two protagonists fall in love with one another. <laughs> <laughs> when they nice. fight so it's like that's so wuxia it's like <laughs> yeah yeah um, I, I now I'm I wish our episode was just on Shang-Chi and just like <laughs> the elements in it but I know we have other things planned but oh, that yeah, would have been so cool to it. but yeah that reminds me uh, so <laughs> this episode is on is just purely on wuxia as a genre. Um, And it's been a long time coming. And I am actually so excited to do this deep dive because um, I think it's a lot of, it's like a genre that a lot of people have encountered but are not really familiar with uh, is, is how I see it. Because like a lot of people, you can say like, oh yeah, I've seen Kung Fu films. Like everyone can say that I've seen Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Okay, not everyone, but most people. Um, and like every everyone has encountered little things or like karate kid and things like that. They're like, oh, okay, like action, Asian action things is I know this. Um, and um, but obviously it's not uh, it's it's a lot bigger than that, and there's a lot of like different traditions that we touched on last time, uh, Yulin, in our last episode, uh, we really like talked about kind of like the history of, of Wujasa genre and then like kind of like where it, like more of where it came from and then like kind of like the basics of like the different definitions of the terminology. Um, so yeah. if anyone you're interested in checking out um, like all of these things that we talked about already, uh, Check out our Wuxia, our old Wuxia episode because it's still very relevant and there's some like really good info that Yulin dropped. Um, but I feel like uh, we kind of want to talk about like Wuxia right now, right? Like especially with like uh, Shang-Chi and like all of these um, different things that are still coming out. Um, like it's it's such a cool genre that i think will continue to manifest i mean definitely in china <laughs> but also i think in western media as well so i, I want to like dive more into like where the genre is going yeah. so actually um, I, before we get too much into that yeah i I'm, i know i'm always here but like i gotta say first of all elin that episode is one of my favorites for the entire like Thank you. It, it was such a good dive fun. into it. And everyone everyone was just so passionate and just like great information. Um, I also wanted to mention that I listened to that particular episode a lot on Spotify. And I know that a lot of folks 
uh, have been missing out on these episodes. So some folks might be listening to this on YouTube or watching it on YouTube. Uh, but if you're listening on Spotify, I wanted to let you know that this is actually because of some feedback we got from our patrons, who we, of course, really, really appreciate who support the show and allow us to make decisions and play around with our format in a way that is maintainable and sustainable for all of the cast and crew here. So for all the patrons out there, thank you so much. And if you're listening to this on Spotify or on your podcast feed, um, you probably noticed that we released 10 episodes uh, kind of in batch. And the plan moving forward will be to release our episodes in batch each season or so, about 10 or so at a time, just so that our content and our conversations are as accessible as possible to our audience. So to all our listeners out there, thank you so much. Agatha, sorry for interrupting you. No, 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 no. This is great. Um, and yeah, so for this episode, um, we <laughs> we are we have you in back, which is amazing. And then we have one more uh, guest to to really help bring the knowledge to us, uh, Joyce. So uh, I I want uh, you. Why don't you introduce yourself to um, to the listeners and the audience? Yeah. Who are you? What do you do? Why are you awesome? Hi, everyone. Um, I'm so happy to be back. Thank you for having me. And um, I'm a writer, um, poet. Um, I translate from Chinese. Um, and sometimes I do consultations as well for publishers and for games on sensitivity and representation. And um, during my master's, I spent a lot of time researching wuxia. And that's when I became really kind of um, interested in the genre. And I spent time traveling in um, mainland China and in Hong Kong, visiting a lot of wuxia sites, um, as well as kind of doing book research and reading about it and writing about the history of the genre. Um, so I find it a really fascinating topic and I'm really excited to dive in here. Sweet, thank you. And what about you, Joyce? Hi, I'm Joyce. I am glad, uh, happy to be here as well. I'm from Singapore. I'm based in Singapore at the moment. And uh, I write science fiction uh, and fantasy. I also write young adult fiction, and I also dabble or write in RPGs. And I'm one of the writers for Hearts of Wulin. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, I I remember reading the stuff that you wrote um, in Hearts of Wulin. I I remember at first reading it and being like, whoa. Oh, this person really knows, like, really knows the genre. And then I went back, and then because it was all in text, and I was like, "Oh, right, this is a section written by this Joyce person." Joyce person. <laughs> so, like it makes sense that they they brought someone else uh, to like talk about all of the cultural mm. context and things like that. Mm. And I think that really helped the game. Um, mm. And is another part of why I think mm. um, there were some really cool things. If mm. you want to check out, like. Playing a game that is wuxia. Wuxia. Mm. Tabletop role-playing game. Check out Hearts of Wulin. Because Joyce's stuff is in there. Yeah, yeah. So, I, mm. I was consulting for that. So I also read Joyce's yeah. writing as well. And it was good. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, we, right. all, all, yeah. we all worked on it. So like, yeah, yeah, Hearts of Wulin. <laughs> I actually played a game. I played a game as well with um, Cat Rainbow and the rest. We played a... We live stream a couple of games um, for Hearts of Wolin as well. So I kind of know the game in a way. So it's like, 
Oh, yeah. that's that very cool. interesting. It's oh, fun. now I'm really curious about <laughs> picking fun. your picking your brain about like um, how you think the mechanics translate uh, the genre. But mm. first, let's uh, let's kind of like I kind of want to give a little bit of a primer to the genre first. So like maybe like let's talk about how Wuxia has evolved as a genre throughout the years. Cool. Like. Mm. I think what I'm the most curious about is like what are the trends and themes that you see in Wuxia that is the most exciting to you? So like whatever is relevant you feel like is relevant now. Well, you can start with. <laughs> are you sure? Are you... Um, yeah. <laughs> <I'll join in. laughs> That's so, such an interesting question because I feel like there's so much going on in the genre. Um, you know, like historically, um, when we had the different waves of Wuxia, which I think I mentioned a little bit last time, and how that has evolved. And to now, like, um, recently I've been watching a lot of Wuxia dramas recently, and some Xianxia adaptations as well. You know, like looking at some of the classics again, like Legend of Contra Heroes, Romance of Contra Heroes, and so on. Um, but also looking at how, like, writers in the West and also, you know, movies like Sanchi have been playing with some of the same tropes. So I find that really interesting. That's something I've noticed, I think, over the last few years is that um, it's become more well-known, I feel like, outside of China and in the diaspora, um, even more compared to before. And, and as that happens, I think we are seeing kind of maybe new themes and different approaches pop up and people connect to different things. Um, I'm really also excited by the Dame that came out as well, um, especially in terms of adaptations and again, reaching like a wider audience. Although, you know, with the, with the situation in China now, I don't know if we'll see more of it, but that's something that really excites me as well. Um, I'm uh, sorry to yeah. interrupt you. Can you explain briefly what Dame is? Yeah, so Dame is basically like Boys Love and like Lily, um, like by her stories, which is featuring like romantic relationships, um, oftentimes for like a female audience. And generally, it's kind of male characters in like a romantic relationship. So it's, um, it's yeah. like same gender uh, romances. That's right. In a way, it's like slash, but not slash. It's um in the in Japanese it's like shonen eye or yaoi, so it's kind of like that too. But I think Danmei is more elegant in a way of sort of sorts with the stories, like the untamed or um in Chinese is more dao shi, which is like um grandmaster of demonic cultivation. So I'm, I mean the people in the West know it as the untamed, but. I think this is where people started to get interested in wuxia or xianxia, which is cultivation. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I've noticed that uh, there se- there does seem to be a lot more like mainstream, um, like danmei, um, uh, drama specifically. And I, I think it's really interesting, Joyce, that you said that it's more like an elegant thing. Like that's kind of like, it's more, it's, 
understated, right? Because, and I feel like this is be- partly because of all of the, um, uh, oh, what's the word? Censorship laws. Like you're not allowed to really show it. You're only allowed to hint at it in China. So like in order to get it on screen, like some of that is, it seems like it's a require. like you just have to edit it that way. Um, but it also then becomes like kind of a, uh, like a v- definition of the genre, I guess. Yes, I feel that like in if you bring in the wuxia aspect, they are xia and they are supposed to be like gentlemen. So they are brought up to behave like gentlemen. Therefore, they are refined. They are very polite. And when they speak, it's refined, very um, understated. And it's all conveyed via their um, expressions, their body language. Um, that's how I see uh, Dan Mei and Sensia. It's very all intertwined. They are behaving like gentlemen. Yeah. yeah. So and they behave yeah. um, unlike the brash, like the Western way. They are more refined. They they will play their the guzhen or shitsa or play their flute, but they will not indulge in garish actions just to show that they care. But it's very understated and it, I think it's, as I said, elegant. So, yeah, they're following like a, you know, like a rule of conduct and mm. etiquette, you know, mm. in these stories because it is kind of rooted in that kind of cultural value. Cultural, and yeah. so we see that kind of carried over in the street mm. dramas and in the mm. writing and in the world building, you know, how, how characters mm. behave. They are following the code of like the dreams, you know, the gentle person yeah yeah and you're not supposed to kind of do certain things in (laughs) that kind of code of ethics you know Mm -hmm. so so it's not just like a straight-up warrior like there's certain kind of rules of behavior as well Mm -hmm. attached to that um Mm -hmm. that require you to be more refined and to know Mm -hmm. poetry and to be to play music and to behave in like polite ways and to like Mm -hmm. stay true to your promises and all of that, you know, mm. so so that also is definitely kind of embedded within that world, mm. and we see that carried over, I think, into the dame. Do you feel mm. like these kind of like because I feel like, uh, I mean, like even in older wuxia stories, like the classics, if you will, mm. like, well, if we're talking about like Jinyo and also, um. Uh, yeah, if we're talking about those, like there are a lot of main characters oh. that are not necessarily subscribing to this kind of like um, code of conduct, if you will. Like, for example, in Lu Dingqi, right? Like, that's oh. very clearly like a story where the main character is the opposite of like what you would uh, expect. So, like, there, like older wuxia stories are already kind of interrogating this kind of oh. um, like what is like what makes a person. Um, I guess a xia or mm. like what kind of a person is deserving of being the main character mm. so like do you think that that's a thing that is still happening now like with stories like are stories still being like what is a xia like or is it kind of like oh we're past that like anyone can be a xia sort of but this is just like that code of conduct is just something that everyone understands is a thing I- 
I think Looting Chi is often mm. talked about as like an anti wuxia novel in a way,、mm. and Jing Wen was very much aware of that when he、mm. wrote it. You know, he basically set out to wrote to write something that was like very different、mm. and very like not following those kinds of rules,、mm. and and it was his last novel. You know, and he stopped writing wuxia after that, and kind of was like, I'm I'm done with the genre.、Mm. Um, And it's kind of like you—he took on a much more、um, critical, you know, take of the genre in that particular book. And、mm. I think now what we are seeing is, I think the the current、um, representation of of Sha—it's kind of shift the. The waves and the interests have shifted because I see、mm. now like a lot more focus on the Xianxia aspects mm. Mm. in the current day as opposed、mm. to straight up Wuxia,、mm. and Xianxia tends to be a lot more interested in cultivation and in Xian,、mm. and so it's kind、mm. of the the system and the values of the Xia in a way has kind of become weaker and I think less present,、mm. mm-hmm. and also maybe because of the censorship as well. Um, mm. I think writers are less likely to go into those kind of political topics、yeah. in terms of the historical, you know, way that the Shao was kind of、um, seen as opposing these kind of institutional forces. Yeah,、stuff. they're supposed to be the underdog and、uh, supposed to f-、yeah. fight for the weak, to protect the widow, the children, the vulnerable. So they are like they're actually re- rebelling against the norm. And if you if if you read a lot of the uh historical uh, texts and literature, they are like anti-government. I mean, yeah, yeah, they are big on anti-government. So it's like yeah, and which is so, yeah, and yeah, things have shifted as well. So,、mm. yeah, but in China、easy. now with the censorship, so they um the creators have to tread very carefully how to portray, uh. Wuxia or Xianxia or even characters as well because they are navigating a very very messy ocean, with my views. Yeah. Yeah. So we、yeah. see shifts to you know different kinds of focus like romance or other kinds of topics、mm. rather than kind of interrogating that particular mm. concept. Mm. Yeah, Steve, you look like you have thoughts. I. Don't know a whole lot about Usha,、uh, <laughs> but I know what I like, and I know when I am looking at a piece of media that tries to be closer to these kind of like traditional stereotypes and themes and tropes and whatnot. So, like my my modern examples would be some scenes in Shangxi, but also Shadow is probably my my the closest thing I have to something that's modern that I can really resonate with, and that I could. I could have subtitles with,、uh, <laughs> but、um, these ideas just really, really、um, resonate with me, and I just find the conversation so, so interesting. The main takeaway I'm getting from this is that Shadow and Shangxi they like scratch the surface as to what the genre has to offer. I love that our topic is like, is it still relevant? And already in this conversation, I I know what my answer is because what you've described to me is just a whole wealth. Of potential stories that I could enjoy and engage with. 
Yeah, um, I seeing from uh, the comments, there's a question uh, asked uh, by Mahar, uh, our own Mahar, one of our mods, um, and uh, specifically about like e like erasure of queer content, um, and like it's kind of like I I feel like this is a thing that is that always comes up as controversy as like is is con con is media like the untamed like queer baiting um that's not specifically what uh, mahar said but i i feel like that is in the spirit of the question where there's like a lot of i mean but there's i feel like this might be a different topic altogether because there's just so much of it coming from china right now like all of these like dan made these like boys love type dramas where they're like a lot of times they're like really like really hinting at it but then in the end because of censorship uh then it's like we're best bros um and it's very like it's so much so that it becomes like online jokes uh where people would talk like joke about like oh yes like these two people such good bros but it's like like we we know we know that that's not what it was hinted and um and how like i feel like the the question is like how do we feel about this like erasure of actual queerness and i i i can give my opinion first which is that i don't like it but i also feel like the content creators can't really do anything about it because in order again to get to their content out there there's the censorship and censorship in china is just like you can't you can't really fight against it because if you do then you just get taken like you just get taken off air and it's really hard to fight find it so it's like is it the creator's fault i, I don't like i'm not sure like i don't know what do you think yuen it's definitely not the creator's fault in a situation where you know it's really result of policy and institutions um but yeah, obviously I don't like it either. I would love to see more direct queer representation and I look for it. And I am always asking as well, friends I know, other translators um, and writers in um, different kind of Sino diaspora parts of Asia and in you know Taiwan and Hong Kong, I ask folks and it's, it's really tricky because it's just, um, most of the wuxia is still coming out of China and it's just creators are really, really kind of not being able to um, write queer content in the way that maybe they want to. And the situation has gotten a lot worse, I would say, um, because of things going on. And uh, I hear about, you know, kind of the struggles that queer organizations and nonprofits are facing in China. Um, so, so we're definitely seeing that on all levels, not just in media. So you have to understand that's the environment that they're creating in and, and what do you do, right? So, um, I would ideally like to see just a much wider range of representation because, you know, um, it's important to have it directly on screen, like not just queer baiting. Um, and for folks who don't know, I'm also like, on the asexual and aromantic spectrum. So at the same time, I also want to see maybe queer, queer, queer platonic you know, relationships 
as well being depicted. So I don't necessarily want people to read it as queer baiting if it's actually meant to be queer for content, you know, like. Um, so I think it's really important to have just a wider, a wider range. And I mean, it would, it would be nice to have that, but mm. what can we do in this kind of um, environment, I guess? It's, uh, environment yeah. is quite um, tricky and I can say downright toxic, but yeah, and then, and leveraging um, Asia itself, I mean, especially East Asia, Southeast Asia, even like um, West Asia or South Asia, I mean, having LGBT queer representation is <laughs> a uphill fight most of the time. And a lot of the queer creators do feel, do experience censorship a lot. And uh, it's, and for the Chinese um, queer creators to try to bring their, their, their content forward without offending anyone, it's, uh, it's a minefield as well. So it's not easy for them. It's not easy for, for, for a lot of people here. So I can understand too. And, but I, we can fight against draconian policies. So I think what they're doing is very brave very subversive in a way and they know that their content is being now being read and watched right and listened to by by the larger like larger world by the chinese diaspora in the west so people want to know and they know but as i said we we a lot of us are being constrained by policies which which are out of our our control so the sad, this is a sad part. So, yeah, I'm mm. echoing Joyce that mm. is a very brave thing to do to try to push back against that, even mm. in very subtle ways. Mm. And I do hear stories of that and I see examples of that. Mm. Um, recently, I was watching a review of a damage show, the name mm. I have forgotten now, but um, the, the show had been dubbed over and mm. Originally, um, the dialogue was very like straight up, like um, homosexual romance, mm-hmm. and um, it was, you can tell based on the the acting and the way that the mouse of the actors move that mm-hmm. it was dubbed over and lines have been changed, mm-hmm. but they still you know like released it with the the original acting and the dubbing and mm-hmm. kind of fans were creative in watching that and trying to actually like lip read and they mm. were able to kind of try to decipher what was actually said and people released like real like newer versions of the same show with you know, kind of redubbed again based mm. on what they could kind of make out of the the lip reading so mm. so they're really trying very hard to find ways to be creative mm. despite mm. that kind of environment mm. and, and that's just kind of you know they're trying their best I think very very best at trying the hardest actually i yes. am per- i'm personally really happy that we're having this conversation in a very positive but very realistic way um mm. because i think there's a lot to talk about in terms of queer baiting versus queer coding versus mm. not erasing a row in other re- uh, platonic relationships mm. there's a lot more nuance on it i don't think mm. we'll have the space necessarily to talk about it in detail but i do want to just shout out that this conversation, I think, is really, really important, and I cannot wait 
to be part of more conversations like this. So I'm gushing. I'm gushing. I'm starstruck. I love this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) We need to have more. I mean, we need to confront this because um, for half of the world uh, outside North America, we are faced with this issue where um, present even creating something queer coded is difficult. Um, I mean, I books with young adult, um, young adult books, right? I know with queer, queer content are censored. They have to be they have to be rewritten, just to be on the shelves. So it's like do them if you do, and them if you don't. <laughs> What can the creator do? What can the queer creator do? Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. and that's the thing, right? Because also people want this content. And I feel like that's a part of what is um, hopeful, I think, for me, is that, like, like Eileen mentioned, like, all these fans are, like, <laughs> they're really, <laughs> they're really starved, I think, in a way, for the content um, mm-hmm. that they want. So, like, there's always that driving force of like the creators know that in some way, like if they can get it out there, that there is an audience that wants it um, and is, and will consume it and will try hard. So I feel like sometimes it, like a lot of people feel like they're like in this together and like trying to all get the, the, the kind of content that they want. Uh, But that also reminds me, like, do you feel like, I feel like, um, from what I've noticed, I mean, obviously, be, like when it's like a drama or a movie, those are just there's just so much more cost associated with it. So mm-hmm. I guess like sometimes they're also more careful in terms of the kind of content they put out because there's just like the opportunity cost is just greater. Um, mm-hmm. So I feel like a lot of really interesting themes are being explored specifically in web novels. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe I'm biased because I also love reading web novels, but I I feel like like that is where I'm reading a, about a lot of really interesting topics within the genre of like wuxia or xianxia. Mm. Uh, like like all of these meditations on um on power <laughs> mm. on on humanity like what is my right? as a person like Mm. i think this is especially in like xianxia stories where it's Mm. like once you get so powerful that you can just like wave your hand and then and and crush a mountain then it's like Mm. what what is the value of human life and things like that i think those i mean some of the the stories are much more just like shonen anime where it's like level Mm. up level up get good things um cultivate uh but Mm. like some of those are really interesting so do, you, do y'all feel like there's, like, uh, different types of stories being told in different uh, media, different formats? Like, so in games, in shows, movies, and web novels, like... I think that... A lot, I, I feel as if there's some cross-genre, cross-fertilization going on. I mean, you can't... Sometimes just... It's not strictly historical... It's also fantasy. Then it's also ciencia. Then it's also chuan twenty, which is like, and it's all together. And it's like, why not all? <laughs> I mean, that I can the gif. Why not both? Like it's like it's. I mean, the thing is about ciencia is so fluid, and how we portray it is so fluid. 
So, I mean, creators have the that expansiveness to and diversity to create not just one thing, but many in one. It's just like it's like knitting. It's just like everything interwoven into one. So it's it's not just wet models. I think they're exploring a lot of things on many levels. And I mean, creators are also asking questions. And I think the fans and readers and their audience see that. They, they know that and they want more, I think. Yeah. Eileen? Yeah. I think just adding to that, we also see a lot of kind of cross influence from, you know, games and books and and film. Like, for example, like, you know, like um, games have also been adapted into C dramas and they do well. Like one of the big Xianxia um, came about because the because it was originally like a Xianxia computer game that became really really popular and it was adapted so we'll see those kind of things or maybe like a um an ip that does really well as an adaptation um will later become like a game you know so i think we see the the generous kind of really melding together in a lot of ways um i think Probably on the fiction and web novel side, we do see maybe a little bit more freedom in terms of what's being explored, like I guess I was saying, I think compared to adaptations, just because adaptations are getting, you know, streamed or kind of put online or, you know, they have to air on TV and there is even more, I think, level of scrutiny that's put on it. And so, so things will maybe get lost, whereas maybe in the writing, there will be more that you can slip in. Um, and and games, I think, added a whole other dimension to it um, because you have to, you know, think about player, like, interaction with the game. So so what gets highlighted and, you know, how can we make it playable? And um, I find that really interesting as well, kind of seeing how, like, like, I grew up with all those RPG, like, wuxia games, like, single player. I don't know if either of you have played or or Steve, I don't I've know if you played one but, specific yeah. one that I don't remember the name of. But I mean, Dynasty, Dynasty Warriors is one. Dynasty Warriors is one. So it's like quite interesting. Popular. Dynasty Warriors is a wuxia story. Is it a wuxia game? I think it falls within that category. To me, it falls within that category of wuxia slash like epic kingdom drama slash a lot of things because you do see. Oh. Uh, Kung Fu being, sure. yeah, like Liu Bei. And, okay. And, and it, it definitely tries, in my opinion, to really like draw that like aesthetic and like allude to it. I think that's a great example of maybe like cross genre kind of interpretations there because, you know, I had roommates who loved Dynasty Warriors and, you know, they're like, watch me kill a bunch of soldiers. And I'm like, you know, that's one theme that we can definitely lean into. And yeah, it can be really fun in like a video game setting. But that on its own is, I don't think, emblematic of Wuxia. Much to maybe tension around people who think they might know that this particular genre in the West. Yeah. Uh, I was going to add that, you know, in a lot of games that tout themselves to be able to be cross-genre, oftentimes they might say that, you know, they do support like Wuxia stories. And... I usually have a little bit of tension around that, where I think the way you've described Usha has kind of shown that you have this like very surface level 
thinking, which that's fine. Like you, not everyone knows everything, but to tout it as, you know, this, like, yes, you can definitely do it and not dig any deeper, I think is a, a very big missed opportunity for these larger games. Yeah, I feel like whenever I think of Wuxia in games, I do think of the single player type games. Like, well, I guess it's, is it Xianxia? Because like, I think of, um, oh, I don't know what any of those things are called in English. Uh, What's the like Xuanyun Jian and like things like that. That seems more like Xianxia where it's very like, whoa, like it's, I guess a comparison can kind of be like, no, never mind. I was going to say like King Arthur, but that's not how it is. But it's like, you know, there's like a weapon that's like, that's the name of the game the series is like this very powerful weapon. And then a, a boy gets the weapon and then gets good and also gets other. Um, uh, it's kind of like JRPG, I guess, like other group members. And then there's like a lot of romance uh, that happens. I I feel like. And and then I think of all of the MMO RPGs that um, have come up and died <laughs> uh, in my within my formative years. Like I used to see them all the time in like local Seven Elevens when I was still living in Taiwan, which is just like a corner store, but it has everything, mm. uh, including a lot of like really cheap, um, I guess bundles that you can, where they're like they they basically come in these little packs um where you can buy them for very cheap and then you get like a cool like outfit in, in this one mmo and like various things and mm. they were all kind of like aesthetically like xianxia mm. um right like where there's like elements of like asian-esque clothing but then there's mm. always magic as well mm. so i, mean, I don't know like... like i don't know if it should it's strictly xianxia but it's magic and there's wuxia so that <laughs> in my yeah. mind i'm like xianxia i mean there's yeah. something there's a the, 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 now that there's a game called genshin impact which is also right. very 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 close to wuxia xianxia the kind of magic with, with fighting and stuff and people just kind of enjoying it because I mean, it's so very would broad. you define it as Wuxia or Xianxia? Would you define Genshin Impact? Genshin Impact to me is more Xianxia to me because okay. you need to cultivate and they need to create, cultivate own own magic or energy just to level up and power up. So okay. that's very Xianxia. But to me, Xianxia and Wuxia is very interlinked. So that's in my own opinion. Yeah. So I think like, it's once you have cultivation and once mm. you have like non-human mm. people being yes. uh, mm. then we're we're getting into that kind of territory. Yes, yeah. So Oh. So, oh that's so mm. interesting. So like mm. are you talking about like if like other like if beasts then cultivate and then take on human forms? Is that what you meant? Or, or humans become immortal, you know? Like, oh, right. right? Yeah. <laughs> you get enlightenment. Right. Or, so. or like the Yao Guai or, you know, like Yao gods. Or, or like, you know, you, you go to hell, you go to heaven, like, you know, you leave the human world, like that yeah. kind of. Or, yeah. or like dragons, you know, or whatever right. magical creatures, I don't know, um, show right. up. Um, mm. that, that would definitely not be Wuxia, right? I think we can... 
we can probably agree that <laughs> like, like Wuxia doesn't have like those magical like creatures or or non-human people <laughs> in that generally. Um, yeah. But, yeah, but I haven't yeah. played Genshin, so I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I haven't either. Uh, my kids play Genshin, so they're quite big on Genshin. So okay. it's very, to me, it's very sensia-ish with fantasy mm. and stuff. So it's like, yeah. Maybe I like, should play it for research. <laughs> play for research. I should you know, play it for research too. <laughs> it, it is very popular. So very popular. Have you played it, Steve? Uh, no, but you know, Genshin Impact art shows up on my timeline all the time. Uh, oh. so that's a, that's an indicator <laughs> that people are really, really in love with it. You don't make art about something unless you really, really love it, right? Mm. Yeah. Oh, true. Okay. Like, actually, there's some really interesting comments uh, going on in the chat where it's talking about like there's a difference in between like Xuanhuan and Qihuan yeah. and Xinxia as well, which I think is actually yeah. very fair. Like, Xuanhuan yeah. is just like anything that has like a mystical magical um mm. t- flavor to the story mm. or not flavor like elements to mm. the story and it's yeah i feel like maybe that's more accurate than Shisha because Shisha actually now that i thought about it is a very specific kind of genre where it's a lot of like there are tropes that you would associate with Shisha, just like there are tropes that you would associate with if if I were to say this is a wuxia story, people would expect certain tropes, just like with Xianxia, people would expect certain tropes. Do either one of you want to like talk about just briefly like what we mean when we say Xianxia as a genre? I did a whole tropes? Um, thread actually defining some of these fantasy genre terms that has been pretty popular on Twitter. So I've defined terms like Xianhuan and Xihuan before. So, right. so if I, I could clarify here for folks, I think maybe it might be helpful. When we use qi huan, generally that's just fantasy. So like that's kind of the Chinese term for fantasy. It's fairly new because fantasy as a concept is kind of strange um, in historically in Chinese literature because genre divides weren't very clear. Um, when we say xuan huan, we have the word xuan in it, right? So, so that's kind of referring to like a sub genre of fantasy where it has elements of like Chinese mysticism. So things like the occult, you know, things like like magical elements of like Chinese folklore and mythology that we associate with kind of the maybe spiritual beliefs um, of like Buddhism, Taoism, or like feng shui and like that kind of stuff. So like you wouldn't use the word xianhuan to describe like a Western fantasy. But like wow. Qihuan would be for everything. So like Lord of the Rings would also fall under that. Yeah, it's, it's more neutral. And the Xianxia, like we were saying, you know, like that's, it's related to Wuxia, right? So we have the Xia in there, even though maybe it's, it's kind of weaker now in, in some representation, but it's still kind of influenced by that. And then we have the Xian, which is, you know, cultivation. So, so if it's not about, Shan and cultivation is just magical, then it might not fall under Shansha, depending yeah. on how we kind of draw the draw the draw the line. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So so I don't know the games that you're referring to, like how would you describe it, I guess? It's just yeah, very, very like... the lines are blurred. 
<laughs> right. Yeah, that's fair. I feel like for mm-hmm. me, when someone says this is a Xianxia story to me, or mm-hmm. when I read uh, a description of something and it says Xianxia, then I expect like certain things. I expect cultivation for sure. And like there, I expect some kind of variation on like cultivation, which is like all through the different elements. And then you can like pull in the the energy from the air to use that to like upgrade yourself upgrade your body upgrade different this is where the variations can come in where there's like different aspects to like what you can cultivate and what you can upgrade but cultivation for sure um usually um i would expect there to be treasures to be found um either like not necessarily ones gotten by the main character though the ones that i read seem to have that as a common theme but like there's also like special realms that would open up for you to go in either for to get like to like see if you're good enough and then you might die or to like get treasures <laughs> it always goes back to the loot i guess which is why i feel like it there are some like i feel like shinsha really started off as a very much like an entertainment sort of genre the way that like sh- for example like shonen anime is which I find really interesting too, where it's like a lot of it or a lot of the ones that are popular are, it's like, it's too, it's like a a cool story for you to kind of like imagine yourself in more than necessarily like a, like an interrogation of like themes. I mean, those things can come up for sure and do get incorporated. And I feel like, like sort of some of the older Wuxia stories are also kind of like definitely more, like sorry, they're written to be youngest. entertaining, right? Like, <laughs> sorry, my youngest just came in. <laughs> oh. Sorry, it's just gone. No, fine. it's fine. <laughs> but yeah, like, what do y'all think? Like, am I am I very limited in my idea of what Shinsha is? Um, I think it might be a little bit helpful for defining the genre to know a little bit about the history. So, just very briefly, um. Uh, I think the earliest roots that Xianxia draws on um, would be, I've talked before about and written about like kind of Tang Dynasty folk tales, like Tang Xuanxi, like the, the kind of the mythical tales uh, or kind of legends of, of the Tang Dynasty uh, that inspired a lot of later um, supernatural stories and eventually um, Wuxia. And within those tales and other tales from kind of ancient um, and kind of Middle Ages China, um, we had some stories where we have kind of these Taoists who kind of were able to, you know, fly and, and cultivate it and kind of wander around the human world and did things and like kind of had like temples and mountains, you know, where they meditated and had like elixirs. And you, you can hear bits here, right, of, in this description of kind of traits that we see in Xianxia. So... So I would say, like, I would be looking for that kind of influence. You know, do we see kind of those kinds of world-building elements and those kinds of character tropes um, in the story? That would be something that I would kind of expect as a uh, as a reader when I hear something in Xianxia, um, an echo of that. And and the first kind of Xianxia novel we had um, was, like, The Legend of Legend of Su, I think is the English name. I don't, I'm not sure. But in Chinese, it's Su Sanjian Xia Zuan. So it was like, yeah, 
so it was like these swordsmen, you know, from from like um, the Sioux Mountains at this time. And it was like this episodic novel uh, written a couple decades before Jin Yong, actually, I think. So a little bit earlier, but kind of that generation where he wrote actually like all these people, all these, again, Taoists and people who were trying to become Xi'an, you know. So it was kind of these humans who were trying to gain immortality and trying to kind of cultivate. And you will, again, have these kind of descriptions of people flying on swords and kind of these kind of schools of Taoism and like these mythical mountains and kind of their relationships and what they did and kind of them going on their quests and that kind of stuff and adventures. So so that being kind of what inspired the genre to form, I think that's kind of part of the defining, some of the defining traits that we still see. Joyce, do you want to add anything? Uh, over? Nah, I'm still thinking. <laughs> I'm still thinking. I think because I think um, I'm I'm just thinking about journey to the west, COD, and COD to me is is it Xianxia or I would call it. I think I would call it like Xiang. I think it would be more mm-hmm. the influence for Xiang Huan. Xiang Huan, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. as I was saying, kind of Xiang Huan was like more kind of like. Like kind of Chinese style fantasy, right? So, so I would see that as being influenced by things like Journey to the West, or like the Water Margin, like Sui Hu Suan, or like um, what, uh, like some of the other ones about gods and stuff, like Liwa, like those kind of, like and like the the mythical kind of creation folk mythology around creation and all those kind of. Um, but so there's some overlap, I think, especially now in terms of melding of genres. But I think it's kind of slightly different roots, kind of that. Yeah. So like, yeah, Journey to the West, I think, is like more fantasy than yeah. the Chinsha. Yeah, and I feel like the theme, like, I, I think what roots Chinsha's stories is definitely like the desire, like it's if it's in the background or in the foreground there is always the theme of like humans trying to ascend um from humanhood uh by cultivating and then so like some of the stories that i've read are very like romance focused and then some of the and or like just relationship focused where it's a lot about like uh revenge uh because you killed my family and then i'm going to kill your teacher um you know like things like that which is in my opinion, also very wuxia, um, which it's always about like the the humanness of and like the obligations and like emotions. Yeah, um, obligations. But, but I yeah. think like Xianxia to me, aside from all those trappings and loot, <laughs> which <laughs> I feel like I'm very drawn by, <laughs> um, there is definitely that like kind of like how like I'm walking this very narrow path to like ascend, um, and then like. I'm curious, um, Yulian, like, did the original, like, the older stories also have a thing about, like, thunder um, when you, like, as- try to ascend? I think there were down? some descriptions of kind of how the heaven and the sky can interact it. And some of that, I think, probably borrowed from mythology, too. Yes. Right. <laughs> and, um... Say so hi to Natasha, yeah. everyone. <laughs> Hello. Hi, <Nesh. laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I yeah. think we do see some of that. I would say kind of contemporary Shanxi. I haven't read too much of it. Um, I'm more familiar on the with the Wuxia side, but but I think it's kind of the world building has developed more in terms of the levels of cultivation and all of that. But but the general qualities around you know reincarnation, around wanting to ascend, around kind of magical objects, around flying, around like the aesthetics of the Xi'an, you know, how they're like flying atop of swords and these kind of mountains and kind of the wilderness and kind of being like a hermit, you know, in the mountains and like and kind of isolating yourself to kind of change to kind of transcend. I think a lot of those are kind of classic kind of qualities. So I don't know. Um, I feel like maybe, like, I kind of want to talk about Wuxia in the West and how has the genre been interpreted in the West and then how that interpretation, like, has it influenced, like, Chinese Wuxia in turn? But I also feel like maybe maybe that's, like, too narrow. And then I'm also curious, because I'm also curious about, Joyce, like, what you see um, as, like, East Asian or, like, Southeast Asian, like, other, just places outside of China that are interpreting the genre like is there a is are there certain elements that get picked up um and emphasized I, I, I for me when I I grew up watching a lot of Hong Kong Wuxia like Kung Fu movies and as well as Taiwan Taiwanese movies as well so it, it and Hong Kong and Taiwan is also pulling a lot of like ideas from China itself, like, and it's. I feel as if they're both off in a way influencing one another. Mm-hmm. And when I grew up, and I, I see certain tropes like the same thing, like because I we 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 got to know, we got to read and watch things like um a lot of things uh by, uh Jin Yong, um like Legends of Kondo Hero. And Legend of Condor Heroes has been done, redone and retold so many times. And yeah. because people love them so much, the stories are just so far-reaching and so influential. And growing up, I, I kind of... Because uh, Singapore is majority Chinese. So, and... I can't say much for my generation, which is the Gen X generation, but the the after war generation, the boomers, they still get their in like a lot of their information from Taiwan and China. And what we get when we grew up around that time, they grew up around just stories from China, like later. Um there's this uh well known oral storyteller called Lady I saw. Uh and it's in Cantonese that I saw. And he, he will talk about, he will, he will tell stories about, like, Jingyong stories orally. And it's like, and I feel as if that we get people from in Southeast Asia, uh, Chinese in, the Chinese in Southeast Asia, we get the main ideas, the, the, some of the main ideas from China. And somehow or other, we also get ideas from Hong Kong and Taiwan and we kind of we in a way we wove them together and think that it's the same it's Wuxia, it's Kung Fu uh, or it's Xianxia and then we, and we accept it 
Then now for now, the current trend I'm seeing, especially in Singapore, in Singapore and Malaysia, are younger folk who are reinventing wuxia and xianxia by interweaving um, mythology from this area, Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. So it's becoming more and more uh, interesting. Like there's a story by, um, I'm not sure by who, but there's a story, it's, uh, I think I mentioned it on Twitter, it's what what they call, or she called, the writer called, um, Paranakan Usia. Then it's like, Paranakan is um, to explain to people who do not know, uh, basically Paranakan Chinese are the descendants of Chinese who have migrated to Southeast Asia from the 15th century onwards, and they married local women, like the Malays, like the Minangkabau, like the Bugis. So they have their own culture. Pranakan Chinese have their own culture whereby they merge Chinese culture with Malay culture together. So their food is slightly different because I can say I can't say I'm a Pranakan, but I married into a Pranakan family. So yes, I, you did. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Yes, I did. That was so, I love I it. love that. I love that. <laughs> Keep that in. <laughs> so the way we, well, how the Pranakans see things is, they are Chinese, but they speak Malay. Hmm. So for a Pranakan Chinese to write Usia, and she, the, the writer actually interwoven Usia and Pranakan elements into Usia. So this is what I'm seeing. You know, how they see Usia and everything coming together. We, inter- we in a way, we, we perceive it to be and then we, we, work, we work it into our being. Understand what I'm saying? I'm just, I need more yeah, coffee. Yeah, no, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yes. That was and my spot. <laughs> Sorry. That was great. Uh, <laughs> great timing. What do you, what do you yeah. think about, like, I guess Wuxia more in the West, I guess? Yeah. Um, so I haven't read too much um, in terms of Wuxia being written in English, which I do feel like folks are doing, and I'm excited to do that. Um, mostly I haven't read just because I, myself, I'm interested in writing Wuxia, and I'm trying to stay away from works that are too similar to mine um, so that I don't get kind of influenced by them too much. Uh, but I know there are a lot of folks doing interesting work, and I think that's been something I've seen and I think that's part of that wave of kind of more interest in Wuxia in the West, along with adaptations making their way onto Netflix, you know, um, along with kind of translations of Jingyong, translations of web novel, translations of like Modal Zusi, you know, into English and like fan translations and seeing all of that. So I'm really excited about that. Um, I don't know in terms of kind of how that is impacting kind of creators back in like um, places like China and Taiwan and Hong Kong because, you know, are they actually paying attention to that reception or not? I think um, from what I know of kind of how it affected other genres like speculation, like sci-fi instead, is that people tend to be really excited that it's getting international attention just because um, having, you know, kind of international recognition is kind of very 
important and mm-hmm. and just kind of make them feel like you know they're really a wider audience but um the language barrier is still like a significant factor so i feel like a lot of them are not really kind of paying attention to the reception and not really understanding the kind of dynamics and kind of what and how we you know think about kind of representational issues is oftentimes different from the source land right so so I think they're not necessarily kind of considering that, and I think they're just kind of trying to write the stories that they're still they're still wanting to. And I think there's some surprise because I oftentimes see a lot of discussion about you know is wuxia really like translatable? You know, can people actually understand wuxia when they're not Chinese? Can people you know understand and appreciate wuxia when it's in English? And and it's a conversation that I see a lot. Um, in Chinese media and kind of forums and circles. And and I wish kind of there would be more openness around that. But I think there's still kind of that association with kind of language and culture that people kind of really um, feel attached to. So, so I'm kind of, yeah. Um, so I think because of that, they're kind of not really thinking about kind of um, the reception and kind of letting it influence the creators because you know like for example like sanchi like didn't show in china so like people didn't even you know watch that because mm-hmm. they have completely different references than i think we do um but within asia like i'm really fascinated by kind of the potential of what's going on outside of china again because of the censorship and because I think I do see a lot of people in the diaspora in Asia kind of doing different things that are really interesting uh, with the genre. And I know when I was researching Jin Yong, he actually spent a part of his time in Singapore. Um, I was doing some research and they actually recovered one of his manuscripts, I think maybe for Xiao Jianghu. Um, and like a Singapore, like, like a like a newspaper office or something like that. Like they found it, like the, the handwritten manuscript and, you know, send it to the museum in Hong Kong. So so there's definitely kind of evidence of kind of ties that he had, that he was writing in Singapore, you know, some wuxia. I think, I think he wrote that specifically and released it in Singapore to help sell a newspaper. He found it in Singapore. Mm-hmm. Kind of, because that's, that's what he did like he started writing wuxia in Hong Kong because he was like you know I, I, found, I found it in a newspaper in Hong Kong how am I going to you know make people buy it like what are I people going to read let me write episodic wuxia you know every mm-hmm. week you have like mm-hmm. one chapter so you just subscribe <laughs> now you know so, so he did that same thing in Singapore and um, I remember doing that and I was actually trying to find out a little bit more about his time in Singapore I couldn't find out too much, so maybe Joyce, you could help me in the future. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, but I, I was really intrigued by that because I think he lived there for a couple of years, and I was kind of curious whether whether he kind of that influenced him and kind of how that. But but yeah, I think that kind of explains also some of the reason why he is very popular um, outside of China because of that that connection. So. Um, a lot of Singaporean Chinese folks are really familiar with his work because of his yeah. time there. Time, time there, and then it's the his uh, his creative works is like Legends of Condor Heroes, Sundial um, Nu. A lot of things are it's big on 
mainstream media there in here. So we we have we have our local TV stations make remaking. I think Legends of Condo Heroes as well. Then we have Hong Kong Legends of Condo Heroes. We we have a lot for influence Jin Yong's like presence in Singapore, and it's it's I mean it's quite common. But I'm not sure about the younger generation now. But I think for Gen Xers and earlier like the boomers like um my parents my parents generation they're quite big on Jingyong and Gulong so they they'll read a lot a lot on it in Chinese so it's like Mandarin Chinese hmm. yeah so yeah. Steve Steve hmm? I'm curious about what you think are like from the little bit that like from what we've talked about um sure. so far like what do you think are um Usha like iterations in the west wuxia for me and i don't know if anyone in the audience also feels this but it is one of those things where i know it when i see it mm. um and i i say that because there's no i never had a formal like set, sit down watch this wuxia film like that has never happened in my life and i never think it will happen in my life but there are very specific stories that i see where I'm like, oh, this is very separate than watching Avengers, right? Like, there's a very clear disconnect between, like, the kind of stories being told in this sphere versus this sphere. And it turns out that I grew up with a very small sphere of, like, what wuxia was. And it intersected a lot of different things. So that said, as I, like, got older and consumed more media, more texts and things like that, um, what I found was that in the West, many, many people misinterpret and that affected me misinterpret what wuxia is and wuxia often became a shorthand for just being fucking asian um and that was really traumatic uh because it really changed how like i perceive certain types of media but now that i've kind of gone through and like paused and you know with the help of elin like your talks on asian present and other things that happened prior to that I can now look at these and know more history and I seek out the history and I want to know the context of why these stories are being told and why they keep resonating. And we've already talked about a lot of these things about kind of censorship, um, queer representation and whatnot. So I'll start there. I'll move into Dungeons and Dragons, which is obviously a very popular tabletop RPG, which in, in the core text says this game can tell a wuxia story you have an entire section in the core book that says wuxia and here it all is and it focuses purely on violence and revenge and yeah revenge is like a common theme but just focusing on just those two elements i think is very disingenuous to the overall relevancy to bring back to the topic of that genre it is very limited it's very scoped down and it's kind of sad to see it that way because I see a lot of people, um, you know, in various D&D spaces that I'm in, where they will say, you know, I want to tell a wuxia story. So how can I make the action scenes really cool? And I'm like, that's definitely one aspect of it. But if that's the only aspect you're focusing on, I think you're actually cheating yourself. I think you are losing out on a lot of nuance and a lot of rich beauty that you could actually tell in your tabletop game. So that is kind of my negative interpretation of how the West interprets Wuxia. Um, but then, you know, with every negative, like I can find positives too. And I think 
when it comes to people being introduced to media like Shadow and Shang-Chi and things like that, I think it's slowly opening it up. I think Shang-Chi has elements that I would consider wuxia, but it's still a Marvel movie. But hey, not everyone can jump right into like a new genre and like resonate with it. Sometimes you need a stepping stone. Yeah. Um, and I think Shang-Chi is a great stepping stone for a lot of people in the West, at least. So my question is, do we think that Avatar can count as a wuxia story? I mean, okay, let's talk... I mean, first of all, in terms of the the moves, like, the way that they fight, like, those are all m- modeled on real people doing martial arts, right? Like, so, martial arts, qigong, everything, and... Yeah, yeah. so that mm. aspect, the aesthetics of that part maps on. But... Like, because I, when I think about, like, Western iterations of it, I don't know if I'm always thinking about something that's completely one for one. Because, like Yilin said earlier, like, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of discussion in China itself about, like, can you even tell a wish story outside of China? You know, like, all that stuff. But, like, what are some, like, like, I'm thinking about just iterations of it. Like, aspects that people latch on to. Obviously, there are all of the, um, like, kind of, when people... Th- Oftentimes people will think of kung fu movies, uh, which is very much just about that aesthetic part, which is like those kind of fights that are very extravagant um, and just visual feasts. Um, and I, I feel like that is the most direct way that um, aspects of wuxia has been interpreted in the West. But I'm also thinking about now, like, other parts of stories. Like, I do think, I think that Avatar can count as, like, an iteration. But I don't know what, y- what y'all think. Mm-hmm. I think. I think um, go ahead. Oh, you can. No, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, so polite. Okay. So polite. No, Joyce, please. I would be, <laughs> I'd be happy if you went first. <laughs> I think Avatar is, can we see it more like Ciencia? If 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 I'm, I'm just guessing. I mean, they. I mean, obviously, is they all the fighting styles are based on the Wuxing, with the five elements. So it's very cultivation based. Right. Am I right? I mean, Eileen. I've seen bits of Avatar, and I I feel like I would say it's influenced by. I think it's a lot of those kind of. Where it's it's one of those I think in the in the gray zone where it, the line gets blurry, because I think I think there's a lot of I think both Stephen and Agatha touched on this, which is like I think when people think of wuxia, they just think there was martial arts, you know, there was kung fu and this wuxia, but I think for me wuxia is really about the xia rather than the wu, which is martial arts. Which xia is like the the vigilante hero. So, so that would be my kind of zoning and on what some what makes something wuxia or not is whether it has that kind of spirit, even perhaps without martial arts. But if it was, you know, featuring this kind of figure who kind of stood against, you know, 
um, the government or institution or was kind of an underdog who kind of helped people um, using their power. You know, I think it would have the spirit of a wuxia story. So, so I would look at it from that angle and less about the, the martial arts. Um, definitely, I think the martial arts is like a aesthetic um, that's really important and kind of what's really fun about it. But like, yeah, so like, you know, how close do we get to that idea of the Sha? In an avatar, I don't, I don't know. So, so that's where I think the line gets very blurry. Um, and how you know, how can you represent the idea of Sha um, in that kind of world where it's like this kind of you have you know different nations kind of with very different kind of um, setup as opposed to like this kind of one world that's kind of like an alternate ancient China. So, so that's where it gets kind of challenging, I think, because you know, can we kind of map the idea of Sha into like, like a more um, multicultural or like a Western-based fantasy, or not? Yeah, yeah. I think a lot about how like um, sometimes I would also read in my web novel reading, um, like stories that are labeled as Xihuan. So that's specifically Western fantasy. Um, and it's very interesting reading those stories because they're like, it's like the Chinese interpretation of like Western fantasy and like what kind of things like, and it's also very much about the aesthetic, I think. Like there's always, there's a lot of obsession with like knights and or um, like Templars, I feel like, and like very classic kind of like those themes but reinterpreted in an almost like video game like way because i think that's probably where a lot of um chinese readers or audiences writers have encountered like these themes and so i feel like it like sometimes i look at um chinese stories um that are labeled as wuxia or xianxia or etc and i think that they we we give them much more of a pass as long as they hit certain things because we already have a like kind of like an understanding of like that we all share the same knowledge base both the writer and the reader so then like certain things if they don't touch on them or if they're not necessarily certain aspects if they're not addressed very well it's like it doesn't matter as much but then when you're reading something or consuming media from like a non-Chinese um, perspective or creator, then it's kind of like, okay, but do you have all of the the bases covered first? And in a way, I think that is definitely legitimate. But I also think that sometimes, um, like so I think we were just much more um, intense about hitting all of the boxes uh, when it comes to Western me- Western media, which I think is fine because I think there's a lot of like association with like culture and identity like with the genre that is not necessarily in other genres so like I understand why we like can be more um, critical have a more critical eye I found that a lot of the wuxia type stories written by um, the diaspora within the west are actually all more like or like 
maybe some of them are like sh- sh- like sort of but there's definitely always like a supernatural element to them which i find really interesting but also like everything that i've read so far are within the young adult genre which is i think it has its own kind of like um like the publishers they have their own kind of s- standards or expectations when it comes to genre so like a lot of times like young adult stories like you're either in a contemporary story where there's probably going to be some kind of romance or something or or it's like one of those like serious young adult contemporary stories or if it's like it's like a genre book where it's like and genre means that there's some sort of magic like there's a lot of young adult stories with magic in there so i wonder if that's kind of also why those are the ones that end up getting published where like these like young adult wuxia stories are more than wuxia and are kind of like xianxia-esque but not exactly because they don't cultivate but there is supernatural elements and like supernatural beasts and things like that so i think i'm finding it very interesting in terms of like what aspects are being chosen to talk about um and are being read by like a western audience within this specific subgenre, which is also why I wanted to ask you about it, Yilin. Yeah, that's, that's so interesting. Yeah, like, I think I also do see it tends to, in English, it tends to be magical and it tends to be fantasy. And and I think it sometimes it comes down to just maybe different ways of seeing genre because, because like I was saying, like, fantasy as a concept as a particular genre didn't really genre label didn't really exist. Obviously we had fantastical and speculative works like all the time. Um, but but that wasn't really like a category um, consciously. And it was more like when it appeared in a bookstore as, you know, this was a fantasy section. A lot of it was kind of Western fantasy being translated into Chinese. And now suddenly like we have a fantasy genre. And and in the West, you know, that's kind of people are writing fantasy. And then they're seeing, you know, Wuxia as kind of within that fantasy genre, which it is speculative, but but Wuxia doesn't need to have magic, you know, or yeah. or it's kind of a different view of kind of, of magic, right? Like it's kind yeah. of like these the martial arts, you know, it is defying gravity and stuff, but it is kind of it's, it, I think it's kind of pushing the boundaries of what humans can do. You know, there's kind of this belief that it's a little bit like historical fiction in some way, but kind of just kind of legends. You know, it's it's kind of like if you have something like you know set in the wild wi- wild west. You know, with these legends, like it's it's not necessarily like magical. Um, so so it's kind of interesting that um, the magic has kind of been maybe played out more, or it's just more present. Yeah. in the in the English yeah yeah and I think just yeah like as an aesthetic like it makes sense um but I would personally be more interested in also seeing like the other dimensions of the genre can it also be present um if if people are interested in kind of exploring that more um because I think that would be like super kind of fascinating my my mind is buzzing now because you've planted this idea of like the West wild West aesthetic in the West with like wuxia themes and just like how those could marry up. I'm like, 
I think that would actually be really, really cool. I think there's so much opportunity there because I love the Wild West aesthetic. I love the the gunslingers riding on horseback. I love the dusty plains, but also I love drama, right? I love to see <laughs> how people yeah. interact with each other and, yeah. and, and talk about it. Um, there is a great episode. I wouldn't, I don't know if I would call it a, uh, like how much it is wuxia. Like I couldn't give it a percentage, but there's an episode of warrior where, um, uh, to, uh, the two main characters who are Asian, they're Chinese immigrants. Uh, they transport, they have to transport a, a casket to finally give this person like final resting. They're given this job and their cart, uh, their carriage breaks down and they're trapped here in this middle of nowhere place with all these other people who don't speak Chinese and they pretend they don't speak English and they sit there and they, they eat and they find out that the chef is also a Chinese immigrant and the chef comes out and he's like, I made you something from like my hometown. Uh, and they have like a really good bonding session there and they understand about this, the complexity and like how people just like make a living and then bandits show up and the bandits are like, we're going to kill everyone here unless you give us all your money. And right before then, the two main characters find out that the casket that they were told is a body that they're transporting for like religious purposes. It's actually full of money and they're, they're smuggling and they didn't know. And like that drama there. And of course it ends with a big firefight and also a little bit of martial arts. Like sometimes the guns run out of bullets and all you got to do is you have your hand axe or maybe some fists. And it's great because the entire bar sets on fire, right? Like it's very like action oriented but it builds up to that. And I just think there's a lot of opportunity for like these, these very classic Western aesthetics and these very classic non-Western elements to be married together, to build something that I think is greater than the sum of its parts. Nice. Yeah. So um, I've also talked about this in the past, but Gu Long, like this really well-known Taiwanese wuxia author, he was, he was directly influenced by Westerns. So, you know, he, he watched, you know, a lot of the classic Westerns, uh, spaghetti Westerns especially. And, and, you know, those being influenced by, like, samurai films. So, so we have some kind of intermingling of influence. And, and we see that kind of, I think that's where, like, we see more of the value system or, like, the character relationships or conflicts or kind of character tropes of kind of the Wild West setting and the characters that we might see there. Like, you know, the lone traveler, the kind of, the way that they kind of, you know, seek revenge and the values and kind of how they're kind of outsiders of society. Like we see those kinds of things in Wuxia in like a very different aesthetics, but, but it's kind of some, obviously there's, you know, culturally specific values as well. But, but I think we have a little bit more of that kind of deeper layer in those kinds of um, stories. Or maybe we see it also like, you know, in superhero films or we see it in kind of, Films that kind of challenge, I think, again, kind of the government, or we have kind of um, kind of characters like standing up and kind of helping the kind of marginalized and people who need support. So, so like those kind of, yeah, like going back to near the beginning when we were talking about, you know, the mm. what the makes xia. a xia, right? Like, a xia. The cowboy yeah. is a xia. Is the cowboy <laughs> a xia? Is a knight a xia? Because I, I, the. the, the Sometimes people think, even I write, I wrote in Hearts of Wulin that the closest thing you can approximation to English translation to a Xia is a knight, mm. like an English German knight. Mm. 
you know, knighthood with, with the ideas of chivalry and everything. But close but not close. Yeah. It's the idea that they, they, yeah. Say, yeah. they Sorry, uphold but... things like honor, like loyalty. Yeah. They, they watch over the, they protect the vulnerable, the marginalized. So is the cowboy a Sia? Is the knight a Sia? What is a Sia? I mean, what defines a Sia? I love that because, you know, the classic Arthurian legend of, you know, King Arthur, who is born for greatness, and Lancelot, who is gifted greatness, and the tension they have in their romance with Guinevere. Uh, sorry, the name escaped me for a little bit. Uh, yeah, very dramatic. And I, I have never heard of a knight potentially being potentially like a Shah. That is, that's mind-blowing to me. That's like... <sighs> We see some of the same values in terms of, you know, kind of the gentleman-like quality. But but Shad is the creation of this kind of particular social class as well. And that's where where I think it differs from like a traditional Shad. Because because we have this kind of, you know, Shad as like someone who is, you know, from nobility and who's kind of trained and is on horseback. And we had those associations as well. Oh, you with mean the for knights? Or so, yeah, with the, with knights, yeah. Right. And and we don't and Sha, I think I see that as kind of different in that regard. Even though we have consumer codes of conduct, I think. Um, I yeah, like I feel like it's a little bit more Robin Hood esque kind of compared to um, a knight, but but it's maybe the the melding of those two, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, and we did actually have some definitions of Sha that was created, you know, by like early um, writers of, of philosophy who created the term Sha before like Wuxia, you know, came to be, and and they they say things like you know like Sha is someone who used like you know physical force to fight against you know like to, to fight for justice, you know, and kind of do what's kind of um, to carry out kind of justice when kind of. Um, like the greater powers fail, kind of. So, so um, yeah, and we see things like, you know, they live in the world of Jianghu, which is kind of the the kind of, I don't know, like the martial arts kind of world. That's kind of like outside of, yeah, kind of the wilderness and the streets. It's kind of outside of, you know, the, the big cities and the, the court and temples, kind of the, the systems of power. institutions. Yeah. So it's kind of opposing that. So you, so it's like the the underdogs and the mm-hmm. the people, the warriors of like the Jianghu space, you know. So, yeah. So that that kind of brings me. I think we we're also coming up to time, but I would love to hear about what your own writings or like what your own fo- foci. Well, I wrote that. Uh, what, like, what do you want to focus on when it comes, or what have you felt more drawn to when it comes to Wuxia? Like, what draws you to the genre, and what kind of stories do you want to tell? I think we have a little bit of the, an idea with what you've been saying, Eileen, right? Like, you want to talk about more of the Xia aspect, um, and less of the, like, maybe those magical aspects, or like what we said earlier about the YA, um, kind of manifestations of wuxia, xinxia, things like that. All right, I start first. Okay. 
Um, well, for me, I kind of am drawn to things like family clan lo- loyalty, which is Wuxia is also big about like family, your pangpai, your sect. So it's right. like, how loyal are you to your sect, or how loyal to are you? So are you torn between your sect or your other relationships, no, no, like your potential loved one, you know? And how I want, I like to write about things where protagonists have to navigate between you no know, personal motivations and then against a larger familiar clan. Uh, obligations because I think a lot of Wuxia talks about the very Chinese concept of obligation. You're obligated to your family, you're obligated to your to your teacher, you're obligated to your maybe to your lord who's protecting you. So it's so many levels of obligations and you have only one person you yourself to take care of and it's like you have to fight off all these desires and higher motivations and still keep to the goal of being a xia and right now i mean for me with the current technology we are given why not we can just stretch wuxia and have everything inside wuxia fantasy historical i mean right now we have we are seeing a lot of novels with historical slash usia slash sensia things like iron widow uh she she who became the sun um all these are in a way right on the historical slash usia slash sea drama kind of preferences we have now i mean we are so drawn to it um for me personally i want to write stories where <laughs> there's a lot of food <laughs> because china for some strange reason food is very big in i don't understand why maybe chinese <laughs> we eat a lot uh <laughs> but besides fighting for the fighting for the vulnerable i want to see more compassion and kindness and being aware of people around us. I mean, it's like, um, yes, you have power. Yes, you you have cultivated this powerful, like, golden core within you. But what can you do? The only thing that maybe the bravest thing you can do is your love, your, your loved one, protect your parents. And this is the bravest thing you can do. I mean... The current thing I'm working on is is a serial, uh, serial uh, episodic uh, thing I'm posting on Wattpad, and it's based on the twelve uh, zodiac uh, Chinese zodiac animals. So there are twelve shifter clans who are cultivating twelve disciplines, and the main protect protagonist is a non-binary femme rabbit. So she. They have she or they have to fight against their own personal motivations and fight against a villain. So I mean, I'm writing, I'm still writing that too. So oh my gosh, what is it called? It's called Twelve uh, Twelve Paths to Glory. I'm writing it with to attaching uh with uh RPG thing attached to it. I I came up with the whole story idea plus RPG game mechanics in there. So. Oh my god. What? <laughs> I wrote, That's so cool. That's so cool. I, 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 I wrote it in pandemic pandemic year one. I'm, 
I was so we had a lockdown in Singapore as well. So what, I had to, what a I, mood. <laughs> I was the, yeah, that, that was the mood. I was like, I was like going F this, I'm going to write RPG. <laughs> so, yeah. Nice. Yeah. How about Yilin? Yeah, let's see. Um, I'm working on, I'm the, in the early stages of working on a novel. So it's going to take a while and I'm not really ready to talk about it yet. But um, I'm also writing some, some short stories as well. And I'm really interested in, in addition to what I already said about, I think, um, the kind of, and seeing more representation of the Shah in English, I think I'm also just interested in picking up more of some of the, the historical roots that I've seen that have been lost um, around, for example, um, like female characters and interesting complex strong kind of um, feminist takes of the genre that I see like historically actually a lot of interesting kind of um, time fantasy tales around um, women Shah that I think people don't really know as much about as I would like and we maybe have the one or two stories that's been kind of adapted and retold and then everything else has been forgotten. So I'm interested in kind of doing retellings and picking up on some of that um, from the perspective of diaspora. And um, I'm interested also in kind of melding genres because I have a, a loose understand or loose view of what wuxia can be, and I'm more interested in the in the kind of philosophy and the the deeper aesthetic or deeper kind of um, I, I guess philosophical and like social critique and other conversations in the genre as opposed to just the the aesthetics although I think that's also really fun as well so mm-hmm. so I'm kind of trying to borrow that into stories that I'm writing that are not necessarily straight up wuxia so I've written for example like um, a I would say kind of very near future like very faintly sci-fi story um, that had some qualities of like a wuxia um, it's on Clark's world if people want to read it it's called Sparrow and it had and it has um, it has references to like a shah. You'll see it when you read it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have written, you know, like a story uh, where it's like a VR game set in the future, um, and it's it's, a, it's like a wuxia VR game that exists. It's kind of like a multiplayer um, MMO kind of RPG. Um, kind of set up uh, based on some inspired a little bit by my experience playing Wuxia games um, and I, and you know it's kind of this um, ima- I'm trying to imagine you know like can Wuxia exist in the future or like can what would Wuxia look like in like a sci-fi setting if, if that's a thing or possible um, so so I'm kind of interested in kind of exploring kind of angles of the genre that haven't been explored before um and and one day i would love to write also as well maybe for games um in terms of i don't know what that would would look like but uh, i'm really fascinated by that as well because uh, i i have done some homebrew um like wuxia games that i have dm for friends so so i'm like you know so that i think that would be uh, really interesting to see in either like ttrpgs or or in like um, in just um, like computer games as well, um, yeah. And 
and I would love to translate. Um, and I would love to see, especially more, maybe Dame and that kind of stuff um, being translated. So, yeah, that's kind of. I think we should collaborate on something called a Dame visual novel or something. <laughs> we, I just, we just need to find an artist. Mm-hmm. I, I that's can't. true. I can't draw to save my life. <laughs> yeah, we definitely would need an artist. I'm not someone who, yeah, especially <laughs> someone who knows like who can do the aesthetics very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is super awesome. Um, I think yeah. Okay, so we are coming up to time. Thank you both so much um, for uh, popping on. You, if you could grab me the link for uh, the story, I think of Sparrow. Um, that we can sure. link to people in the chat, but we'll also provide it uh, afterwards um, to our audio. But I want to, uh, where, if people want to follow you, read more of what you've written, and then just see your updates, like where can they find you, Joyce? Uh, you can find me at, on the bird tweet, bird app. You can find me at Jolantru, which is, Jolantru, I'm, I'm going to type it on because it's, yeah, it's to... that the Twitter handle is under uh, Joyce's. Yeah, it's uh, Joy- Jolantru. It's a Star Trek reference. J O L, J O L A N T R U. It's actually Romulan greeting. Because <laughs> I, I like the Romulans. Um, you can find me at uh, a wolf's tail. Uh, it's basically a wolf's tail at WordPress.com. So it's like I have my list of works there, plus I will update my blog once in a while on what I'm, I'm writing and what I have I've published. So at the moment, I am writing, um, I can't say much, but a DCC um, something, Dungeon mm-hmm. Crawl thing, yeah. Very cool. So, it's also distracting me. It's, it's a good, helpful distraction from whatever's happening outside now. It's just helping me focus and not think of daily case counts. Singapore is just weird. Singapore news is weird. <laughs> I am tired. Eileen, <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, so I'm on, I'm on Twitter um, at Eileen Ryder. So Y-I-L-I-N-W- R-I-T-E-R. Um, I'm also on my website as well, just like yulin1.com. Um, I have a page called Literary Jianghu, which is um, I post some of my thoughts and also short translations um, of, of like Wuxia-related um, research that I've done, um, especially around kind of the history of the genre and, um, and kind of the early folk tales and kind of adjacent um, Kind of discussions um, related to to um, wuxia and xianxia, and um, I also have an article out recently um, in the bulletin uh, on the history of the genre, which uh, is currently available to read um, to Sefa members. And um, and after the exclusivity period passes, um, I'll probably find a place to post it so that more folks can can read it so be on the lookout for that it is a great article a great primer uh to the genre so um but like all of this 
could not have happened uh, without our wonderful patrons. So, Steve, I'm going to change. Yes. So, hey, everyone. This is Steve chiming in here to kind of bring us out to the close here. I'm bringing in Marla. Uh, So here's Marla. Uh, So, oh, Marla's upset. Marla's Marla's really angry. Um, But for... (laughs) For our patrons out there who support us, we really do appreciate all the support you have. Uh, so special thanks to our Guardians of the Realm, Brooke Bright, Pixel Grotto, and Daisy May. And then, of course, huge, huge... Oh, Marla, don't bite. Um, huge, huge thanks to our most honorable patrons. Can't believe I have to say that each time. Ryan, the Wizard Hall, Metal Weave Games, uh, Valor's Games, Dungeon Glitch Matt, and the most honorable times two, Epic Impulse. So uh, for all of our patrons, uh, thank you so thank you so much. You gotta take Marla away from me. I'm so sorry. Uh, I also wanted to end off our stream by a really really quick update that uh, you know I I want to let everyone know that we have brought on a new uh, crew member uh, Drew who will be helping us on our Discord. So as folks might know, we do have a Discord community, but that community has been closed off to new members. Uh, except for paid patrons. Uh, But with Drew coming on, we have some great, great plans coming up. So Drew is going to be our official Discord community manager. Uh, That means he's going to be helping to plan and implement growth in the server, uh, as well as, you know, taking in server feedback and making sure that we have good lines of communication. Really, really excited for that. And I know in the future that Drew is going to help us and enable us actually to open up those invites once again, so that we can have member, uh, we can have people from the outside community apply uh, and be part of our community, given some kind of process that's TBD, but something that we want to put a lot of care and thought into. In addition, Drew is also going to be heading up in the future, our ban appeal process as well. So we want to make sure that our community is safe and that we have proper processes in place that everyone can understand and respect uh, for everyone's benefit. But those are all the updates there. So all of our thanks to our patrons and especially Drew. Thank you so much for joining our team. We definitely look forward to continuing working with you. Also, you're fucking dope. So that's cool too. 